I think the biggest one, having consistent values that underpin your work moving forward. But it's part of having a common why, but ensuring that both organizations are operating from the same underlying fundamental values, that they're engaged for the same reason, having clear desired outcomes for the partnership, understanding the role that each partner plays, and really having the partnership conceived of at the most strategic level. Like it's not just about, again, a transactional thing, but that it's really kind of fundamental to the strategy and success of the organization is also quite beneficial. No branding strategy should ever stand still. And the same goes with marketing strategy. But do you realize when your branding and marketing strategy change, then your financial strategy and story also need to evolve? Likely, your answer is no, you don't realize it. Because many founders think finance is a standalone process, but that is not the case. Throughout this Growth Marketing Podcast series, if you have been listening to episode 112 and 113, I share how marketing and finance are actually connected. Have a listen of this two episode at christinashahli.com forward slash her CEO journey. Today's episode is about brand and brand partnership, and I'm going to show you how your brand and finance come together. Obviously, I'm not a branding expert, so I have searched the web and found an interesting article published by marketingprof.com about brand metrics. You can find the link to this article in the show notes. So this article talked about brand impact metrics, and then this is where I can see brand and finance collide. So let me share first, what are those brand impact metrics? Then I will show you how I would use this metrics in the financial planning process. So metric number one is market share. This tells you the percentage of total market dollars accounted for by your brand. Metric number two is price premium. This is the average incremental amount your brand can charge over its nearest competitors. And metric number three, share of wallet. This metric translates into the average numbers of your products or services your average customer buys relative to his or her total category spending. All of these metrics are reliable data you can use to forecast your long-term revenue growth with confidence. This is the type of information you want to use in your financial model. If you are pitching to Series A investors or lenders or even for your organic growth planning. Now, on the flip side, let's say you have all of these metrics and you are not happy with where your brand stands today. But now you have solid data to say, hey, let's forecast how much we need to spend over X number of years so our market share, price premium, and share of wallet increase over the next few years. Boom, right there. You are using this metric to make smart and strategic business decision. No more uneducated guess. And this is where brand meets finance. That's why I curated this growth marketing podcast series featuring B Corp certified businesses not only to help you grow beyond the first million while doing good in this world, but also I want you to see how finance is not a standalone process. 
the first episode of this podcast series was all about search engine optimization. The second episode was about paid advertising with a green search engine. And today I am joined with Shelly Meyer from RAM, a B Corp brand consultancy and advertising agency to chat about branding and how to create a purpose-driven partnership strategy. For those of you who don't know what is B Corp certification, go and listen to episode 101 and find out more about B Corp certification. And you can find this episode inside kristinashahli.com forward slash her CEO journey. And next week, as part of this growth marketing podcast series, you will also gain insight on how to build a sustainable and accessible website. You're listening to Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for mission-driven women entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Christina Shahli. If you are new here, a big warm welcome. If we are not connected on LinkedIn, please reach out and say hi, because that's where I hang out and share my business finance tips. If you have been listening to this podcast for a while and you are a regular listener, I want you to know I appreciate you. My podcast won't be around without your support. This is a free weekly show where my guests and I want to inspire you to balance between mission and profit, to create an impact in this world, and to achieve financial equality through your business for good. In case you missed last week's episode, I want to invite you to join Purpose to Prosperity Club inside Clubhouse. I co-founded this club with an impact brand strategist, Holy Grife. This is a club where purpose-driven founders, we all get together to grow our business to the next level. We host a room every Thursday at noon Eastern Standard Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time with an expert guest, and we want you to join us. The next event inside Purpose to Prosperity is scheduled on May 13, and we will dive into SEO strategy with Anna Colibri, founder and CEO of Colibri Digital Marketing. Anna was the guest of this podcast in episode 112, and on May 13, you have the opportunity to come on stage and ask the burning question you have about SEO. To give you more information about the Purpose to Prosperity Club, check out the one-pager link included in the show notes. In the meantime, if you are interested to reimagine your business financial process and how you can connect the result of marketing and branding strategy to your financial strategy, let's chat. Book a time with me at kristinashahli.com forward slash let's chat. Now, let's find out Shelly's CEO journey. Shelly Mayer, welcome to her CEO journey. So before we get started talking about branding and partnership marketing, let's start with your journey from working with a tech startup and Toyota Canada to building RAM. I grew up in uh, southwestern Ontario, and I think from quite an early age, I had this sense that I wanted to own, run, start my own business, which I think came from my dad was a business owner. He owned a a land surveying firm and my mom ran a bookkeeping business. And I found all of the different door-to-door things you could do. 
and was always enterprising in that way. And so it was really clear to me that a career in business was what I wanted, but I I wasn't sure what that path would look like. And so I went to university at uh, Wilfrid Laurier University and I studied business there. And as you mentioned, my first job out of university was at a tech startup which was an amazing experience. Uh, the, the founder of the tech startup that I worked for was a top 40 under 40. And incidentally, he's now running Mars and it has a long career of entrepreneurship. So it was really inspiring to be under his leadership and learn kind of what it took to grow a business from the ground up like that. So, so that was really great. We worked on insurance software at the time and I loved the entrepreneurial environment, but I can't say that I was really the insurance software thing wasn't really for me. And that was when I had to look in another direction and ended up landing at uh, Toyota Canada. That was just, again, another really phenomenal experience, but quite different because it was a corporate environment and a lot more structured than what I was used to. But the one thing I guess that I learned And what I found was so impressive from day one at Toyota was just the passion that everybody that worked there brought to the business. And that always was something I took away from that. So I was there for nearly 10 years in a variety of uh, strategic and, and marketing roles over that time. When I ended up having my third child, I decided that I needed more flexibility in my life and I wanted to look to myself to to try and you know create something uh, from the ground up for for me and ended up launching ramp what i took from the time at toyota that really i think carries forward into ramp and and what we do today is at, at the time when i was there in marketing we were focused on branding around a core purpose just that idea of not just branding strictly about product features and benefits, but actually building into your integrated brand message, the essence of who you are as an organization, what you represent, what you stand for, and creating a marketing strategy based on purpose. And you know that's really when I launched Ramp and wanted to work on the type of brand work that was really based on that philosophy. So what would you say differentiate RAM from others within the space? It's our unique perspective on branding and the process that we use around branding that helps get to that point of great work. But it's also about helping brands really understand how they can inspire people, how they can engage people, how they can connect with consumers in a more fulsome way to achieve their full potential as an organization. If you can share what is branding and then what are like the misconception out there about branding? Branding is about communicating to the world what your organization stands for, what you believe in, what you represent, who you are as an organization. You know, if, if, you, if your organization was a person, what does that entity stand for, believe in, and uh, want to bring to the world? And so I think that's the fundamental essence of what building a, a successful brand is all about. And 
The misconceptions, I think, out there, the one I see the most is, of course, this notion that if I have a logo and I know what my brand colors are, my brand work is done. So this idea that your brand is about your logo, your color scheme, and what you look like, of course, that's an important piece of bringing your brand to life, but that's not the starting point. Another has to do with really the role that your values need to play in communicating your brand. So if we look at Ramp, for example, my my company, the values that really drive who we are and what we do are curiosity, imagination, veracity, potential, and change. And so just when I say those five words, you can get a really clear sense of how we approach what we do, who we are as an organization, and what we stand for and what we represent. So understanding those underlying values that drive everything you do as an organization is critically important. I think another area is thinking about brand as a project that you're going to finish, whereas a brand is a living, organic thing. It's something that you have to keep your eye on constantly and go forward. Just because you're successful, it doesn't mean your brand doesn't need work. You can be successful and you can be doing really great work, but your brand may have room to improve, which you know therefore may be holding your organization back in some way and holding you back from achieving your full potential. I'm curious, for your own branding journey with RAM, What would you say the biggest challenge was? Or was it easy for you because you already knew this is how I want to build my business? This are my values. And then this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's a a great question. Speaking for our business and what our biggest struggle around branding was, was, and this is going to be ironic because we're a branding company, but not maybe spending the time in the first couple of years to build the clarity around that and kind of jumping into business and starting to work, but not really writing all that down on paper or really intentionally thinking about what those values needed to be and how that then drove actually the type of clients that we were out searching for, the kinds of employees that I hired early on, and in the first couple of years, quite frankly, I was a little bit frustrated with how things were progressing in the business with the kind of clients that we were working with, with the type of projects we were taking on, with some of the people I was attracting. I wasn't really happy. It was really at that point that I took a step back, took that more 10,000 foot lens from the business and said, like, what does this really need to be in order to be successful? And then that kind of opened up a huge door for me in terms of like the growth of the business, the success of the business and the importance of the work that we were doing really all kind of crystallized at that point early on in that journey when we took that pause and really wanted to think about what those values were that governed how we operate and and how, you know, how we bring success forth, right? Is that close to the time that you also found out about B Corp? Because I know REM became certified around 2016. Is that around the time that you really become clear with your value and then really knowing this is 
the type of clients and then this is the type of value that I want to show through my brand. So that would have been like 2013 was the point when I learned about B Corps. And that was partly through some of the research I've been doing on what really makes really great companies great and what makes for environments that really engage people and create wild success and all of that. And I learned about B Corps through some of the reading that I had done and um, was really inspired by that notion of, of profit with purpose. And, and that really led our mindset as to how we approach the business. It did take us until 2016 to go through the certification process and all that goes with that. I didn't know anything about B Corp either. I felt as you were sharing your journey in building RAM, I found that it's kind of like a reflection of what I had to go through as well. I felt that, you know, I wasn't working with the right client. I felt that my value is not really aligned. Something is just not right. It's just that nagging feeling inside you that you're like, something is not right. I'm not really happy. I left corporate for something that makes me happy. But why is it still not aligned? Until I found out about B Corp. I found out about B Corp and I'm thinking like, this is it. Like, this is like how business supposed to be. <laughs> like why I haven't heard about this. A hundred percent. The journey to really fully define our brand and, and understand what I found really valuable about what B Corp brought to the table was an actual framework to let me measure and manage if I'm going to run my business with these values at the core, how can I do that effectively? And I loved that B Corp gave me a framework for that. It gave me the playbook to ensure I it wasn't just like, it wasn't just something I was saying, I was actually living up to it and, and had a way to measure that. I believe Ram had been awarded a few times as some of the category from the B Lab, right? Yeah, we've won uh, Best for the World Workers for several years running. Unfortunately, in 2020, they they postponed the, uh, the designation of the awards. But basically, other than 2020, where they skipped a year, we've been awarded that every year for the last several. So that was that just reflects the fact that in the workers pillar of the B Corp certification, we achieve in the top I think it's like 10% of all B Corps worldwide in terms of the points that we have in that particular pillar, which is reflective of the kinds of practices around just employee volunteering programs, um, employee benefits that we provide to our staff and all of the different things that really create engaged and inspired workforce, right? Is it possible for a business in general to reach like success, like seven figures, big business without a strong brand. What is your opinion on that? It, I guess it depends on how you measure success. You know, when you're measuring success just based on dollars, of course, it's, I mean, we see many organizations that have problematic brands that are still, despite that, uh, achieving, you know, monetary success or achieving sales and I always think about it as what is that untapped potential that is is sitting between where your what your current state of your brand is today and where it could be and you know what what that would bring to the organization. So what would you say that untapped potential are? I think some of the signs um, that we see, some of the most common ones that we see would be things like more transactional relationships with your customers or your stakeholders. 
are your customers really going to be evangelists or ambassadors for your organization? How loyal are they? Will they make referrals for you? Another sign that we would see is how inspired is your team? So if you're struggling as an organization with recruiting talent or retaining talent, or you're finding that your engagement, your team engagement scores are low, then these are all signs that there's something that could be improved upon with your brand. Because, you know, successful brands, it starts from within. If you think if the people inside aren't inspired by it, then it's almost impossible to get people outside of your organization inspired by it. The third most common issue that I would see would be this this kind of sea of sameness. Like if you're not differentiated within your sector. So if your approach to marketing or the way that you're coming to the table with your brand looks very much the same as the way your competitors are coming to the table that is a sign that there's there's some opportunity in that brand to be connecting with customers differently talking about what you do differently talking about what matters to customers differently one of the reason that i want to bring you on to this podcast is talking about partnership because Partnership is one way of marketing. But before we get into the detail of the step and everything, can you explain or share why businesses should consider using partnership marketing, either with cost-based partnership or non-cost-based partnership? Partnerships can be great. And there's amazing benefits that come to organizations from partnerships and brand building is one of those, right? That if I understand the values that I represent and I have a community that is inspired by those values and shares them and buys into them and you know, I meet a partner that has similar values and taps into a community for similar reasons and their community is inspired by some of those same things, then, you know, it stands to reason that by combining efforts and working together on something that then we can both elevate one another and we can enjoy the benefit of that sort of broader audience that comes from tapping into our partners and their shared, shared values and shared purpose. So I think at the core, like it's about brand building and it's about expanding your audience and reaching people. I think, you know, if you tap into sometimes like if the partnership is two businesses, that's, that's the example that I just provided. But then I think as well, like when you start layering in that one of those partners may be a cause, then there's the feel good that comes to your audience from seeing that by working with you, you know, they may also be supporting a good cause for the cause then it may be, again, it's about tapping into that audience. It may be different revenue generating opportunities. It may be an opportunity to raise awareness for that cause and what it represents. If you can share, what are the steps to build a successful partnership strategy? I think the biggest one, having consistent values that underpin your work moving forward. But it's part of having a common why, but Ensuring that both organizations are operating from the same underlying fundamental values, that they're engaged for the same reason, having clear desired outcomes for the partnership, understanding the role that each partner plays, and really 
having the partnership conceived of at the most strategic level, like it's not just about, again, a transactional thing, but that it's really kind of fundamental to the strategy and success of the organization is also quite beneficial. What about in terms of integrating the two partnership to work together? What would be the critical communication or teamwork or integrated marketing that businesses should consider in order to make this partnership a success? Having clarity around roles is uh, really important and understanding what is each partner bringing to the partnership and then how is what each partner brings to the partnership creating that success that you both want to see, right? So having that shared vision for what is the outcome that we're trying to achieve and then understanding the unique role that each partner brings to help achieve that outcome. The example that I, I, I think I can talk about, which maybe goes back to both of those points together, is one partnership. I love this case study. It's the Vaseline Healing Project. It's a partnership between Vaseline and an organization called Direct Relief, who, which is an international humanitarian organization that has a mission to improve the lives of people affected by poverty, natural disasters, and other kinds of emergencies. And Direct Relief works with healthcare professionals and organizations on the ground and equips them with what they need to help people recover. Vaseline, you know, as we know, is a product that has healing properties. And when you think about the Vaseline value proposition, it's all based around the power of healing. So this is a really great example of a fantastic partnership because, you know, Vaseline's value proposition is around the power of healing and direct relief as an organization is aimed at helping people recover and heal. And so there's that alignment there at the value proposition level, which is the first thing I was talking about. But to get back to your point about then how do you actually execute this partnership in a way that's very successful? So the goal of the project was to help 5 million people affected by poverty or emergencies by 2020 um, in this project's case. When you think about an organization like Vaseline, they don't necessarily have the, like, how would they begin to achieve that goal without a partner? Because they don't have access to the people who need the help. So, you know, that's where direct relief's role is in providing access. So understanding that the role direct relief brings is around access to this network and actually bringing the product to the people who need it. So that's one aspect. You know, another might be another example and to just play on that one further is that direct relief may be the ones in the field helping to bring this product to people who need it, Vaseline may want stories about the brand's success, about how successful this product has been in that environment and how it's actually changed the lives of people. And so, you know, from the beginning of the partnership, Vaseline would be setting up with the partner that, you know, we need to understand the stories of success, the stories, the the lives that have been changed by this product. And they may be relying on direct relief to bring those stories back to them so that they can then put them forth in the marketing. Direct relief may have goals about getting 
out the mission of their organization and being more recognized or more people know who they are and what they do. So there might be an agreement in that partnership for Vaseline to use Vaseline's brand presence and voice to raise the profile of direct relief. So I think it's about early on in the partnership being really clear about what does each partner have to bring to the table and what is each partner trying to achieve from the partnership and both partners need to be clear on that. And then what are the joint outcomes that we want to work together on? And then how are we going to track, measure and report on that so that, you know, we can both talk about that success when it's achieved. So in terms of Vaseline and direct relief, it's a cost-based partnership, right? Yes. Now, let's say that it's non-cost-based partnership, so business and business. Have you seen, or can you give an example, is there like a profit-sharing component? Is there like a cost-sharing component? I'll use Ramp as an example. We don't, we don't do web development, for example, but we do brand work. But many times, you know, for some of our partners, they do web development, but they don't do brand work. And, and so many times when a customer is looking for a website, they also need brand work. Or when a customer is looking for brand work, once they get their new brand in place, they also need a website. And so, you know, we can, we can both win from that relationship from kind of promoting a more, you know, fulsome package, if you will, to our, our clients that way. But again, you know, you could see how even in that simple example with two businesses that have complementary services, having the common values, having a common approach to business, approaching things in the same way, then we work to make sure that the partners that we bring into work with our clients live by the same core values that we live by and, and you know, presumably vice versa. Have you seen or have you experienced two businesses that are partnering and then their value align, their purpose align, but maybe the partnership don't work or didn't work. Usually when things don't work, a lot of times communications at the core of that, where there may be underlying values, but maybe the communication isn't set up effectively, or maybe the rules of engagement aren't documented clearly or set forth from the beginning the way they should be. Maybe the objectives of each partner, just because your values aligned, it doesn't mean that your objectives are the same, right? So if the objectives of each partner differ and there's not clarity about that up front, then things, you know, may not always work out. Shelly, you built RAM over the last 10 years. I'm curious, looking back to your financial knowledge journey from the beginning until now, were there struggles at the beginning? Which area have you improved over over the years? Well, I think when you're creative and ideas person, sometimes like taking the time to dig into the numbers isn't always like the first priority or the most interesting part of the job. The other thing about my business that might be relevant to this discussion is that I bootstrapped everything from the very beginning. So there was like zero upfront investment made into the business. So every 
profit early on was kept in the business to grow the business from successful projects and successful clients. That's not always the easiest way to start a business, I would say. You know, there's there's some maybe, I guess it's like a low risk approach and it's a safe way to do things. But at the same time, I would say in our case, it probably slowed our growth down a little bit. It meant that I didn't pay myself a lot at the outset. And, you know, that obviously as a business owner, there's some psychological impacts that that can have on, you know, how motivated you're feeling about uh, how things are going. So I I would say early on, those were maybe some of the areas that I I wished I might have rethought a bit differently. Um, Another area that we had early on, another challenge financially was around client diversification. So, you know, getting all your eggs kind of into one client basket and then having that not be an easy transition if, if you know, that client um, relationship ends. But then on the, you know, flip side, I think that some of the things that I probably did right at the beginning were, and maybe this was because of my mom's involvement, we were never in a place where we were ignoring financials. We were always very focused on regular invoicing, staying top on top of invoicing, staying on top of collections. We did monthly accounting right from the beginning. And so we always looked at the numbers every month and it wasn't this big like, oh my gosh, where are we at the end of the year? I think we were good about, um, even just when you think about some of the very simple things like how much you ask for upfront and what you request in your client contracts in terms of payment upfront, your payment terms, and then making sure that you're constructing your client contracts so that you're getting the cash in the door at the right times and that you're funding the work. You brought up a really good point because a lot of businesses that I work with at the very beginning, they didn't realize the difference between profitability and cash flow. Because it's two different things. Managing your cash flow and then understanding your profit, you just mentioned some of the critical things. It's what is the payment terms? How much you got paid at the beginning? Do you need a deposit? Because at the end of the day, as soon as you start to work, the clock start ticking. And then you may have to pay other people before you receive the money. So you better be smart in managing your receivables and your payables, right? As a service business. Now you hiring people as you are growing your agency and then you're adding more people. What is the process that you can share with your audience in terms of forward looking? Our business is largely human resource based. The bulk of our costs in a given year are human costs. So cost of staff and all the related costs. So usually like late in the year, we have a detailed staffing budget for the following year, which includes any growth that we envision. So new roles that we want to create and then um, project it out for the year so that we can see what that big cost is. We then uh, look at all of our uh, fixed costs or gen- like overhead and admin related costs, usually as a like using the previous year as a baseline and then estimating from there. And then, you know, working backwards to what is that revenue target need to be. And there's obviously like, it's a little bit of a dance because you can staff up and then, you know, you have a higher revenue number, you know, you can keep the staff number lower and then you have a lower revenue number that you have to achieve. But, and so there's some kind of balancing based on the growth that you want to see for the business. But I think that that budgeting process is really been fundamental for us on an annual basis to to really keep things uh, well-managed. 
especially in a human capital business, right? Like, I mean, where you need people to do the work, if you're not able to project out like how many people you need, technically you cannot bring in the clients because you have a limited capacity. So <laughs> capacity is so important in an agency model. So I, I appreciate that. So Shelly, where can people find you and Ram? I'd love to hear from any of your listeners that are interested in strengthening their brand and, and really achieving their full potential as a brand. They can reach us at ramp.agency is our URL. And I think that's the easiest, uh, easiest place to find us. I'm on LinkedIn as well. I think if you just search on uh, LinkedIn for Shelley Mayer and Ramp, um, I'm sure you'll, you'll find me on LinkedIn. Shelly, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Christina. It was a great discussion. And that's bring us to the end of another show. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Her CEO Journey, the business finance podcast for women entrepreneurs. If you want to create a proactive financial plan and process for your business so you are ready to weather the financial storm over the next few months, Let's chat and see what's possible for you. Book in a time to speak with me at christinashahli.com forward slash let's chat.